There are some stories in the Bible that we read. And there are other stories that read us. This is one that reads us. From Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up into the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already over a mile from land. Battered by the waves, because the wind was against them. In the fourth watch of the night, which would be sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., he that is Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, a ghost, and they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, fear not. Lord, if it is you, Peter answered him, command me. To come to you on the water. Come, he said. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. If you go back and read the commentaries, as I have, from the late 1800s, It is interesting what they have to say about this story. Most of the commentaries from the late 1800s, when they read this story, are troubled by what Peter did. Most of them think it was impetuous and foolish and headstrong for Peter to have taken it upon himself To say, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. One commentator opined that Peter, in so doing, thought he was special. And was trying to show off. Was trying to put himself above his comrades who had been rowing all night long. About that... About those commentators, I wish only to say this. There is nothing in this story that would lead us to think that those comments are correct. There is nothing in this story, not a word, not a hint, not a scintilla of evidence that Peter did anything wrong. There is nothing in the English text 
There is nothing hidden in the Greek text that would cause us to think that Peter was in fact impetuous, headstrong, prideful, vain, arrogant, boasting, or trying to show off when he said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you. About those commentators, let me say, I think those commentaries are written by commentators who are the kind of people who never would have gotten out of the boat in the first place. And the text says, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. A question for you. What do you think about what Peter did? Which is it? Is it better to have the courage to get out of the boat or is it worse to lose your faith and get wet because you started to sink? Which is it? Would you be better off to have stayed in the boat and stayed dry or to have at least gotten out of the boat even though you ended up going down into the drink? Which is it? It is that sort of question that this text forces us to confront. That is why I say that there are some passages in the Bible you read and others that read you. The way you respond to this passage doesn't tell us anything about this passage, but the way you respond to this passage tells us a whole lot about you. It's interesting, isn't it? Verse 27, Jesus spoke to them. Now this is, this is while Peter's still in the boat. But it's part of unlocking the story. When Jesus says, have courage, it is I. You know what that is in the Greek? It is the Greek construction that is the exact equivalent of the Old Testament I am. Moses and the burning bush and the voice from the burning bush, I am that I am. I am the all-existent one. I am the eternal one. I am the self-sufficient one. I am the God of all creation. And with Jesus walking to his men on the water says, have courage, I am. They would have understood as Jews steeped in the Old Testament. He was saying, I am Jesus. I am the Lord. I am the Son of God. I am God. I am everything that you need fear not. And it was in response to the revelation of who Peter wa- of who Jesus was that Peter asked the question, Lord, it's four o'clock in the morning, and some of the boys think you're a ghost. To tell you the truth, I'm not too sure myself. 
So Lord, if it really is you, command me to come and walk on the water. Jesus just says one word, come. I'm climbing out of the boat, you know. I'm sure, I'm sure when he stepped out of the boat, it says climbing out. I am sure. Don't you, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have tried the water first? <laughs> you know, while you're still in the boat, try the water just to be sure. Because he said, Lord, if it's you, I mean, try the water just to make sure it's solid as concrete. First one step. And, and, and he's lifting up the other, the other leg. And, and Matthew's saying, you fool, get back in the boat. You're going to drown. Have you lost your mind? What are you doing? And he grabs onto the boat and takes his other foot and taps it down, you know, and it's solid rock. You know, and, and I think the real test is when you've got to let go, you know. Because maybe, maybe you have lost your mind. You know, maybe you have, and you don't know. And you're tapping around, but at some point you gotta let go and you gotta start walking this way. And evidently Jesus is coming this way while Peter's walking this way. The text says, evidently Jesus got very close to Peter. And those guys back there, you know, they're holding on the edge. Looking like, can you believe? Can you be? Can you believe? No, I can't believe this. This is no, I can't believe this at all. Watching like big eyes, you know. And here's Jesus, and here's Peter. And the Bible says, when he saw the wind blowing. Question for you. Where a Where'd that wind come from? It had already been there. The storm had been blowing all night long. It's not as if the sea was crystal calm and the wind suddenly started blowing read the text the wind was blowing all night long and the storm does not abate until jesus and peter together get back in the boat so write this down in your mind the wind always blows it always blows as it has already been pointed out to us this morning you start walking down the trail Those trees are going to drop in front of you, left and right, behind on every side. And if you don't know that yet, you'll soon learn that. The trees drop all the time in front of you. Nobody gets a free ride. Nobody gets an easy road. The wind is always blowing. So I asked myself a question. What happened? I mean, if you've got enough faith to get out of the boat when the wind is already blowing, what, what happened there? Well, uh, the Bible says, the Bible says he, he saw the wind, but the wind was all, always there. What is faith anyway? What is faith? Faith is not a feeling. We've talked about that. Faith is not a feeling. Because sometimes you feel like faith, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel strong, and a lot of times you feel weak. 
Sometimes you feel on top of the world, and sometimes you feel, you know, on the bottom looking up. It doesn't matter. Faith is not about how you feel. Faith is a choice. It's a it's a conscious moment by moment choice to believe that God who is who He said He is, and He will do what He said He will do. The wind is always blowing. The trees are always falling. There's always potholes along the way. There's always reasons to quit. There's all, if, if you look around, if you look around long enough, you'll just go back to bed. Right? You just go back to bed and let somebody else worry about it. Because there, there's always problems everywhere. Take a nap. Fine, but the problems will be worse when you wake up. That's just the way the world is. The wind is always blowing. So I was reading what Robert Rayburn said about this. Uh, because you know, if, if Peter's problem was that sudden loss of faith. Robert Rayburn said, and I don't know, this helped me. He said, faith is concentration on Jesus. I don't know why, but that helped me. Concentration on Jesus. Anything that moves us away from the emotional feeling stuff is good. Because feelings come and go. It's concentration on Jesus. And by the way, by the way, this story is told. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? This story is told also in Matthew. Uh, told in Luke, but... Uh, the part about Peter walking on the water gets left out. Same story, but this part about Peter walking on the water is only told here. It's very interesting. Maybe, maybe the other boys, you know, maybe they just didn't want to include that in there. But Matthew said, well, this was so unbelievable. We had to put the whole story in here because, you know, just had to. Uh, He's the Lord of the storm. Watch this. He's the Lord of the storm. He's Lord over the storm. He's the Lord in the storm. And by the way, where did Peter encounter the Lord? In the midst of the storm as he was sinking. How many of our graduates, how many of our graduates would say, in my most desperate moment, I saw the Lord. In the darkness of the night, Jesus came. When all hope was gone. Um, by the way, when was it Paul and Silas we're singing the hymns. When was it? Midnight. In prison, in the stocks at midnight. By the way, do you know where you discover your theology? You learn it at NBBI. You discover it at midnight. Right? You learn it here, but you discover whether you really believe it at midnight. If at midnight you can still sing the songs then what you learned here must really have made its way into your soul. So from this story, we should not be surprised that our Lord not only comes to his disciples at a desperate moment, 
But he meets Peter as Peter's beginning to sink. Well, we make him look bad. We shouldn't make him look bad. He got out of the boat. Come on. He got out of the boat. And so as he's going down, he prays one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. Lord, save me. Why? Because when you're going down, you don't have time for a long prayer. He didn't have time for the Lord's prayer. All he could get out was, Lord, save me. And evidently, evidently, Jesus was right, you know, just like a foot or so away from him because he grabs him before he gets all the way. How long does it take to go underwater? You go, when you start going down, you go down fast. Evidently, Jesus was right there because he says, Lord, save me. And before he could go into the drink completely, there is Jesus. And by the way, what does, uh, what does Jesus say to him? In the King James, what does he say to him? Five words. O thou of little faith. That's five words. That's five words in the English language. You know what it is in Greek? It's one word. It's one word in the original Greek. And you know what it means? Little faith. Little faith. It's a nickname. Little faith. I love that. I love that. Little faith. What does he ask him? Just one question. Why did you, little faith, why did you, by, by the way, a question for you. Uh, all of you teachers know what this is. Where, where are they at this moment? Where are they? Thank you. Shout that out. That's right. That's right. They're in the middle of the floating classroom. They're standing on the water. And, and, and evidently, just a few yards away, there's a boat bobbing with those guys. They just can't believe anything that has happened here. That none of this, this is unbelievable. And here's Jesus, and here's Peter, sopping wet because Jesus pulled him up out of the drink. They're standing there. And by the way, what, what, what's happened to the storm? It's still blowing. I mean, the storm doesn't stop till they get in the boat. I mean, the storm is blowing. The wind is howling. The rain is going. The guys are looking. And here's Jesus and Peter's having a little conversation, standing on the sea. This is what teachers call, educators call, a teachable moment. <laughs> this is your ultimate teachable moment. Little faith. Why did you doubt. Why'd you doubt? You. Is that a rebuke? Is that a rebuke? Well, yes, but only it's a mild rebuke. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you had kept your eyes on me, you could have walked across the Atlantic Ocean. Little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Peter learned more by sinking than he did by walking. Which, by the way, we learn more as we're crawling out of the water anyway, don't we? It's pretty much true for all of us. End of the story. They got back into the boat and the wind ceased. And truly, then those who were in the boat worshipped him. And said, truly, you are 
the Son of God. Two observations about Peter, and I'm done. Number one, number one, give Peter credit. He got out of the boat. (laughs) Got out of the boat. Uh, You know what we call this story? We call this story Peter walking on the water. Why don't we call it Bartholomew walking on the water? Because he stayed in the boat. Why don't we call it Matthew walking on the water? Because he stayed in the boat. Why don't we call it James walking on the water? Because he stayed in the boat. Maybe the others wanted to, but they didn't have the courage. So just write it down in your head. Little faith is better than no faith. Give the man credit. Number two, Peter is not criticized for attempting too much, but for trusting too little. He's not criticized for dreaming too big or trying too much. He's only criticized for trusting too little. He does, Jesus doesn't say a word of rebuke. He doesn't say, Peter, Peter, you should have stayed in the boat. Just a little faith, little faith. Why did you doubt me at all? These are the words of Theodore Roosevelt. Quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbled, where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who actually does try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion, and spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly." Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor souls who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. We live in a world, brothers and sisters, that encourages us to stay in the boat. The message we hear over and over again is, play it safe, be careful, don't take any chances. When our children learn to walk, what do we say to them? Be careful. That's almost the first thing we teach them. The end result is a generation of passive young people who don't know how to deal with the world as it really is. He won more basketball championships in the U.S., than any college coach in history. He coached the UCLA Bruins to more national championships than anyone else in the history of college basketball. And John Wooden asked for his philosophy, said, I always told my team The team that makes the most mistakes is most likely to win. And all God's people said, hmm. (laughs) 
Because at least if you make mistakes, you make mistakes because you're out there on the court in the game trying to win. We have believed for too long that to be saved means to be safe. Let me, let me recast that, okay? Lest I get in trouble here. To be saved means to be so secure in the love of God that you can risk everything for Jesus. To be so sure of who He is and who you are in Him You can take everything and push it to the middle of the table and just say, I'm all in for Jesus. Wherever he leads, whatever it takes, whatever it costs. Here is my final and best argument for getting out of the boat. Here it is. We're all going to die someday. You can either die in the boat or out of the boat. The too many people of whom it could be said died at 25, buried at 75. Go home and think about that. I, I listened. I listened to these testimonies of the great graduates of this school this morning. If you were not moved by that, you have a hard heart. Go out from here in fifty-one or sixty-one, and oh, I spent forty-five years up in northern Canada. We were working with the natives and the reservations, and we went. We gave our life. I said, "Why was it worth it?" Was it worth it? You can go out from here and stay in the boat, have a good, safe life, come back 30, 40 years from now and have nothing to say and nothing to show. Or you can go out from this place and say, I'm going to get out of the boat. And I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. If I sink, I sink. But if I start to sink, the Lord will pull me back up, set me right again. Um, We're all going to die, right? We're all going to die. So, I was watching TV the other night I was watching the NBA playoffs they show that up here Canon NBA do they do they the NBA you got it uh, I was watching the NBA playoffs and um, the Memphis Grizzlies who are the number eight seed in the Western Conference were playing the number one team the San Antonio Spurs led by Tim Duncan. They've won a number of NBA championships. Truly great team for a number of years. And Memphis just has never really had a good team. And um, 
So it was halftime of, some, of, of one of the games earlier last week. And I was listening to that great theologian, Charles Barkley. And he, I love him. I love him because Charles Barkley will say anything. And, uh, and the Memphis Grizzlies have a young team, but they've never won anything. And the San Antonio Spurs, this older team, and near the, Tim Duncan near the end of his career, they won a bunch of championships. And uh, Charles Barkley said last Monday night, he said, the Grizzlies may be the number eight seed, but they're going to win. They are going to win because they are younger and they are stronger and they are faster. And the San Antonio team is old. And he said, I don't care if you're Tim Duncan. He's the greatest forward in the history of the NBA. I don't care. But he said, you know, after a while, you live long enough, your mind, you have to think about what he said, your mind starts writing checks that your body can't cash. Happens to everybody, right? <laughs> and, and then he said, he said, uh, he said, it's happening to the Spurs. It's a younger team beating an older team. And even if it is a great upset, it shouldn't surprise us. Because Tim Duncan is the greatest power forward in the history of the NBA. But he's thinking about moves now. But he's lost a step. Moves that he could have made five or seven years. He just can't make them anymore. And then he said this. Father time always wins. Father time is undefeated. What is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a while. And then what? Vanishes away. I mean, to die is gain. I heard that. That last line you used, that was good. That last line as you were walking off. Well, we're all going to die or getting ready for it or whatever you said. That was very good. That was, that was a good exit line, you know. Because <laughs> that's the way we're all going to go, right? If, if the rapture doesn't come and get us, and I think Jesus is coming soon, I mean, look, 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 look. We're all going to do some box time sooner or later. Okay, just go home and think about that. <laughs> We're all going to do some box time before it's over. Between now and, and really the only choice we have to make is, are we uh, going to stay in the boat? Or are we going to get out where the action is with Jesus? And Barclay's right. Father time's undefeated. There's another way. There's another way. Is this where all the alumni are? <laughs> looks like it. <laughs> this looks like the alumni choir over here. There's another way. There's another way to say this. The minute I start to say these words, you'll start to say them with me. Take my whole sermon and say it the way it used to be said in another generation. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done 
for Christ will last. We only really get to choose whether we're going to stay in the boat or do what Peter did. I question for you, and I'm done. Um, where's Jesus today? He's not in the boat. He's out on the water. And he's saying to his children, come on out where I am. You've been in the boat too long. You've been gripped with fear long enough. Keep your eyes on me and you'll be okay. Oh, little faith. Get out of the boat. And come to me. In the end, who looks better? Peter who tried and sank or the other 11 who wouldn't even try? There's a reason I don't have a sermon about the other 11. They stayed in the boat. They played it safe. Only Peter took the risk. That's why we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. I realize it's risky to walk on water. It's possible you might sink. You'll never know till you get out of the boat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Grant that we might be great risk takers for the kingdom of God. Shake us loose from the security and the necessity of having to stay in the boat. Help us to walk on the waters of faith because we believe that Jesus will hold us up. In his name we pray. Amen.